0: My name is Michael Kaiser and I'm John Wilson and welcome to another episode of make ours Marvel.
1: This is the 165th episode of the podcast that takes you on a journey through the history of the Marvel superhero universe. We started at the very beginning with the fantastic four number one published in 1961 and today we're going to finish the merry month of September 1967 and dive headfirst into October as well. Mike, how you
0: doing? I'm good. How are you?
1: I'm all right. You know why
0: October is exciting? Yes, I do. And my wife actually re was watching that show when I came home the other day because that's like one of the few movies she doesn't watch regularly or hasn't seen that often. Okay. So then she's like, you know, this one's actually pretty funny. I don't know why I don't watch it all the time.
1: It's like okay. Uh, Cool. I had I had a teacher asking me about the Captain Marvel film saying, I, I don't really get it. And mm. I was like, well, okay. I don't think superheroes are really her bag. And I think whenever he goes into space and starts doing crazy stuff in the second half of the film, she just kind of lost her.
0: You know, when I first watched Guardians of the Galaxy in the theater, I enjoyed it immensely. But I was sitting there the whole time going is this going to bother non-comic people? Because it was introducing a lot of concepts, you know? Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I really thought it was going to bomb. Like, oh, they're not going to know what all this is. Like, I know what this is, so it's fine. But they're not going to. But it turned out to be, like, one of the most popular side projects or whatever. Or, you know, sub-series. So what do I know? I guess people just figure stuff out. Kind of feeling similarly about Eternals. Yeah.
1: Seems right. like what what are they going to do to to really make this connect? But yeah, Captain Marvel is is starting in October, not this episode, but very soon. Um, and October starts a run of quite a number of months where there's something new pretty much every month. Right. Not December, I think. So not every month, but like pretty much every month, there's something new about the lineup and the debut of Captain Marvel is the
0: first of those things. Well, Marvel, you know, they had to take a Christmas holiday. Yeah. after that. Yeah.
1: Had to take a Christmas holiday in October when they were writing
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. I'm looking forward to Captain Marvel and I'm telling myself to stop it because I know that it's probably not going to be super awesome and I've never read it, but, Mm -hmm. but, you know, I know about him. I've actually really hardly read any of the original Marvel at all, other than the fact that he's been dead my entire comic book reading life. Right. So it's one of those things. Like he's that guy who died and they'll flashback about it. And it seems like it has weight and resonance, but I've never read any of his stuff. So I'm looking forward to diving into that.
1: You know, it's weird. I've never read the death of captain Marvel. Mm -hmm. And at this point I have intentionally not read it because I want to have read all of captain Marvel beforehand, which I've read the vast majority of, I've got like, you know, a few issues left to go. And then he like stops making new stories for a while, which is why they kill him because he's no longer going concern. Um, Similarly, I've never read The Judas Contract in The New Teen Titans, and I've never read Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow. Yikes. Come on now. I, I will be reading Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow for the first time in July, having read all of Pre-Crisis Superman.
0: That's pretty rad, there. actually.
1: I'm kind of, kind of excited. It's the weirdest label ever to put on somebody, but I've read all of Pre-Crisis Superman. At this mm-hmm. point, i just shy a couple of years, and I'll have mm-hmm. it done by the summer.
0: Yep. So you um, really understand that story because none of the rest of us do.
1: I don't know what it gets me, but it gets me
0: something. <laughs> yeah.
1: But I haven't yet done the rundown. We've got the X-Men 38 tonight and Amazing Spider-Man 55. Then we're going to turn the calendar over to Sergeant Fury 49, Strange Tales 164, and Thor 147. But these first two comics came out September 7th, which is the second ship week for September. You'd think September 7th would be the first ship week, but no, August 31st was the first ship week for September. Gar. Yeah, and throws Mike off every time.
0: It does, it really does. It's just like it's just not organized. It's it's chaos. What are they doing? Anyway. So who's done is done. What's done is done. I get the three books tonight, so I get X Men and Fury, yippee. But at least you have to do Strange Tales. Um, okay, X-Men number 38, humanity has never seen more awesome – is it Archfiends or Archfiends? Archfiends. Than the Blob and the Vanisher. Humanity has never faced a deadlier disaster than Doomsday. I'm going to read the rest of this. The Sinister Shadow of Doomsday is what our story is called. Succinct synopsis of the month, the uncanny X-Men. <gasps> whoa. Whoa have taken over the mountain fortress of factor three only to find that it is now deserted. I love that caption because honestly, I didn't even realize that's kind of what was happening at the end of the last issue. So it was nice to like <laughs> get some explanation, I guess.
1: Well, to clarify, they took it, they, they got there and were deliberate were like immediately knocked out by the changeling and the master yeah. mutant master. And they woke up later to find that, Oh, everyone's gone now.
0: So they really didn't just take it over. They kind of got Mm-mm. unconscious and then woke up and it was deserted. Okay. Yep. Smiling Stan Lee edits and other and elsewise enhances a Roy Thomas Don Heck, shimmering chef d'oeuvre, <laughs> inked by gingerly George Bell, lettered by elfish L.P. Gregory. So, yeah, they wake up and the master mutant master's big giant noggin is on a thing and he's like, we're going to start World War and you can't do anything about it. Um, they find – remember like – I don't know. Was it last issue or two issues ago? The Factor 3 had these like flying saucers. Well, they find a couple or they find one of those, maybe two of them, and they jump in. And while they're jumping in, things like a thing. Sorry. Beast is like, we should get out of here because my Beasty toesies sense that there's going to be an explosion. Everybody's like, haha, you're funny. But then as they leave, there's an explosion. So now it's like everybody's kind of in wonder of Beast's feet and how awesome they really are. Or was Almost he? Almost as luck- much
1: wonder as Bernard of the uh the, the coffee place had.
0: Right. <laughs> or is he just being lucky or or he knew some other way and he's conning them? I don't know. Anyway, we cut to Mastermind and uh Changeling. And Changeling's like, um, Mastermind, why were those Mongo Disc flying saucers like Left operational so that they can escape. You dare question me? And he's like, well, yeah, I kind of want to know. And they, so then, like, mastermind, mastermind, mutant master presses a button on his console, and it shoots like a laser. And it can be a change. he's like, okay, 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 I don't question you anymore. But in his own thoughts, he thinks, boy, maybe this was a bad plan after all. I mean, all we're doing here is is going from like homo sapiens oppressing us to this guy oppressing us so how is that better i don't know anyway mutant masters like send out a message to blob and vanisher behind the iron curtain and ask them if they're doing okay and again uh what's his name i keep forgetting his name changeling chameleon Mm -hmm. Changeling. changeling Changeling's like, is that a good idea? Because what if the message is in inter- it? Do not question me. Okay, okay, I won't. So they send out a mutant message. And guess what? Mutant message wavelengths are picked up by Cerebro because that's what it does, I guess. And so now the Avenger, Avengers, man, I am really just flopping it around. And I thing, and the Avengers, all of them, the X-Men, find out what's going on. Apparently, you know, they got the missiles on the, behind the Iron Curtain about to go off, and then they have the missiles in America about to go off, so they split up. They got Beast, Marvel Girl, and Angel going to the Iron Curtain um, where basically they confront the guards, but that's not a problem for X-Men. What really matters is that behind the Iron Curtain is also the Blob and Vanisher and a bunch of mutant master thugs so they fight those guys. They actually manage to win because ultimately uh, Marvel Girl turns Vanisher's gas gun on against the Blob. She uses her telekinesis to like move the vapors around his head and knock him out. And then they try and grab Vanisher, but he vanishes because that's kind of his thing. Not just a clever name. Um, and then as that happens, all the um, – uh, what do you call them? The soldiers, the sentries, whatever of – mutant master turn out to be robots and they explode because they lost the battle. Um, so then the soldiers of the iron curtain who don't, aren't necessarily in on this. I don't think they're just thinking that the X-Men are like assassins and intruders. So they point guns at them and arrest them along with the blob. The beast is like, I think our only way out is the blob, but he's unconscious. Meanwhile, uh, who's the other two Cyclops and Iceman confront America, the army and are like, dude, we, uh, we, uh, you know, you need to stop with the missiles and turn them off and stuff because the mutant master is going to, like, use them against us. And, of course, that goes perfectly well. Um, so the army starts fighting Cyclops and Iceman, and I don't think that's really resolved. So that's the end. The end, uh, 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 next issue, the fateful finale. Right. The fateful right. finally. Yeah, really. No kidding. How long has this been going on? um we should be keeping track of story arcs to find out who's the most obnoxious because do we is it really doctor strange or do we just think it is i don't know (laughs) because this is pretty long it's pretty long
1: and i keep on thinking back to okay there was that spider-man issue where they went to go ask spider-man to be on the team because they needed strength against factor three that was Mm. 27
0: wow yeah yep
1: so I think they first heard about factor three, maybe the issue before that in 26. And in any case, it's been a year now. I do think the eternity saga with Dr. Strange goes for like a year and a half, but yeah. Um,
0: and that was more, um, up front. Cause this has been a year of, of factor three, but they've also done other things.
1: Mm-hmm. They've gotten a lot of distractions, including hello. Our professor has been captured, but we are too busy doing other stuff.
0: Right. Speaking of that, do you think Professor X is controlling the Mutant Master? Why do I get that impression?
1: Because we've never seen Professor X in the entire story. We see him once briefly today.
0: Yeah, but like, you know, the, what that like the Chameleon or God, the Changeling actually does have legit good questions and like he gets shot down. Now, is that because this dude is a would-be Dr. Doom who can't be questioned or is it because he really is sabotaging things and doesn't want the Changeling to figure it out? That's a good question. That's what I think. I'm just guessing. But I don't know.
1: Um, one of the things about supervillain, you know, camaraderies is once you actually start to put the camera on them, you find out that they're not actually as friendly as they seemed to be whenever they were just sending you evil voicemails. Mm -hmm. Um, so up till now, Changeling has been the face of Factor Three, Mutant Master, and they've just been like decrying the X Men. Now that we're actually looking at them behind closed doors, they're like nipping at each other and arguing and, and, yeah, Xavier is trying to play on that. He's like, the Mutant Master is going to betray you as soon as the humans are destroyed. But um, Changeling doesn't listen to him.
0: But I do like that the Changeling has thoughts of, like, why am I listening to this guy, the mas- mm-hmm. Mutant Master? Because I wonder why that doesn't happen more in stories where right. the, the main bad guy is a crazy megalomaniac who kills his supporters and stuff like that. Like, why does no one ever go, like, you know, Darth Vader, you kind of suck. Right. Yeah. So he's actually having those thoughts, and I thought that was kind of refreshing, something different.
1: Well, Darth Vader does have, like, the entire Imperial might behind him, whereas Mutant Master apparently is a guy in a chair.
0: Yeah, we don't even know what kind of mutant he is or if he even is one. I mean, he says he's one, right? You would, by, you would infer that he is one, but has he said? Right. Right. And
1: the the next issue box does tease us that changeling's mutant power is going to get revealed and
0: used next oh, issue. Oh, good point. We don't know what changeling's mutant power is either, do we? Other it's than sporting hats. awesome hats, yeah, hats.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I forgot about that. The
1: haberdasher.
0: <laughs> so basically, only Blob and Vanisher, and whatever happened to Unis? Eunice, whatever. Uh, he's not in this issue. He was in last issue.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about how it occurs to me, in in 38 issues of the X-Men, we've actually garnered a rather limited roster of evil mutants. Uh Magneto and Toad are Mm off-planet. And Merlin was never conclusively labeled a mutant, it was just kind of hinted at. Mastermind was
0: last issue, too, he wasn't here in this one.
1: Oh, yeah. Where are they? What are they doing?
0: I don't know. So there's two missing, which maybe they'll show up next issue as where they've been assigned or something. But uh, Yeah, because we, yeah, yeah. we
1: do see the four of them over the Earth in page
0: four. Now, of course, to be fair, the X-Men were formed to defeat alien invasions, so why would they have a bunch of mutant villains <laughs> anyway? But, but you're right. There's really... We're down to like four that they can use in this story without explaining like a return of Magneto or something.
1: To support your Mutant Master Xavier theory, Mutant Master does apparently... Um, lack the ability to get out of the chair. Mm Mm-hmm. Changeling sort of yells at him for that. I don't know why
0: I have that theory. There must have been more dialogue, but now I don't remember what it was. Anyway.
1: The only other thing, honestly, this is this is an engaging story. I enjoyed this story. There's a Mm -hmm. lot of going on. They split Mm -hmm. the team and they do different stuff, and it's pretty great. Vanisher is colored wrong the entire issue, and he's described correctly in the dialogue as crimson. He is a red costume, but he is green in the coloring. So oh, I wow. thought that was funny. I thought he was a green guy. I guess not. I think he's green on the cover of issue two, but not on the inside. Oh, okay. But yeah, um, big action build up to the finale, oh, yeah. but and we see, yeah. Kat,
0: we see Xavier for the first time in months. I'm looking forward to the X-Men convincing blob to help them. That might be fun.
1: That might be fun.
0: Cause that's like their strategy for getting out of this prison. You know, there's another story. I forgot. There's a second story in this book. We got a new series. When I finished the first story of this month, I was like, wow, that must have been an exciting story. It really read fast. And then I kept turning the pages. It's like, oh, that's because they put in another story. It's a pretty good backup here today. <clears throat> it is not bad. It's called A Man Called X. Um, and so, like, it starts with the FBI, one guy named Bill, and another guy named
1: Fred Duncan.
0: Fred, yeah. So Bill and Fred, the FBI agents, <laughs> are watching the news about how this person did superpowers in public, and the crowd went wild in a bad way. And are like, wait, 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 "Kill wait, wait, wait.
1: Bill and Fred's X Men lent adventure.
0: Yes, exactly. Bill okay, and sorry. Fred, FBI Esquire. Um, 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 and anyway, they they cut to the newspaper being delivered at this mansion that looks really familiar in Westchester and a hand comes out and grabs it, and he's like, ah, oh, just as I feared someday mutants, everybody knows about them now and they all hate them. My plan after dealing with my brother, see issue, blah, 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 X-Men number 12 was to, uh, you know, stay a hermit forever. But man, this place is like a prison now. And I can't stand it. And look at me. As soon as mutant needs me, here I come wheeling out to help them. So here I go. So he I don't know, takes a helicopter over to the FBI and then like just wheels in because he's Professor X and that's kind of rad. He just says like, let me in. And they say, "Okay," And uh, he goes in to confront Bill and Ted. Um, They're watching the tape again. And now it's revealed more who was the mutant that uh, revealed himself. Turns out it's Cyclops. He was minding his own business. And like this steel girder snapped and was about to kill somebody. So he shot it with his rays and disintegrated it. And for his troubles, he got chased away and screamed at. So the FBI are like, man, that's, it looked like that kid saved people. And, you know, why, what's with the distrust and fear? That's kind of odd. And then Professor X shows up and they're like, dude, what are you doing here? We distrust and fear you. And they pulled out a gun and try and kill him. But he stops them with his awesome powers. And he's like, listen, I have a deal for you. Uh, if you guys want to help mutants, I want to help mutants. Let's say every time you guys discover a new mutant, a new mutant, you tell me about it and, and I'll take care of it. And they they either on their own accord or because he's a telepath, shake his hand and go, sounds like a deal. Next ish, the origin of Cyclops. Dun, dun, dun. So that was cool. We're going to get like a theoretically an origin of each character. Mm-hmm. Yep. Even though, I mean, we already got the origin of Professor X, but this is like in between in between right. what we saw and the X-Men formation.
1: Basically this origin series is issue 0 of the series because it sets up issue 1 for everybody who's in that one, that that one.
0: It reminds me of that series that I kind of only a little bit read but that was like Children of the Atom or something like that. Like it kind of takes place in the same time where mm-hmm. where they're setting things up
1: at the know if I've read that involved.
0: one. The FBI was definitely involved. I w- I'm was i curious to know now if it was the same names as these guys because I didn't realize these guys were established in the 60s.
1: Well, so Fred Duncan was um, – the whole time I was reading this, I was thinking about back at the very beginning of the series, mm-hmm. Xavier had FBI connections. And it right. looks like they deliberately wrote this to address those points and make the continuity happen because they even reference it in, um, in the editor's notes. So um, right. Fred Duncan gets established here
0: speaking of the vanisher that's when he first they mm-hmm. first discover that the that professor x has ties with the FBI cuz they like ask him for help i think right yeah
1: um the opening caption does put this at mid 1960s but they're going to have to change that to early 1960s i think unless they're doing a very mm. early attempt to like conserve the passage of years and slide the timeline
0: yeah good point i guess it depends on How old Cyclops is in this? No, I don't know. How would that work? Like, I don't know. I guess he could have joined the X-Men and only had to do a year of school or something because he's already old.
1: Yeah. uh, They only had a year whenever they graduated. Bobby went from saying girls are mush to turning 18. So I'm thinking that's like 14 or 15, maybe a very juvenile 16 to Mm -hmm. 18 18 years old.
0: Okay. So that means the rest of them are in their 20s now then because Bobby's always the youngest, right?
1: Right, they're like around 20. And okay. to my mind, the uh, the oldest X-Men in this book sort of hover in that 20 to 25 range basically forever. Okay. Um, that's probably not accurate for like modern comics, but that's how I feel they are like the Claremont run and stuff.
0: I don't know what they're going to tell us about these origins, but I'm kind of interested because I, I think now that I don't really know the origins of the original five X-Men, which is kind of a shocker. you think coolest, I would, but I
1: don't. Yeah, the coolest parts to me are what happens when they first realize they have powers, Mm -hmm. but then they have to do like the superhero hijinks of putting them in a little adventure story around that Mm -hmm. event. And Mm -hmm. those are sometimes less enjoyable for me. We'll see how it goes. Maybe I'll feel differently, but um, overall I like that this series exists Mm -hmm. and I I really enjoyed reading this first chapter. I did that. um, We're going to get lots of retcons later for what Xavier did before the original X-Men team, even like a whole other X-Men team. But whatever all that was, he's gone into isolation, and he's been living alone for months as this story opens. He's only brought out because Washington appears to be getting involved in mutants, and he's like, well, I guess I should, too.
0: According to him, he's been holed up since his brother had tragedy in Korea, a.k.a. Juggernaut, right? Really? Does it say he's been living alone that whole time? Since the tragedy that befell my stepbrother in Korea, I have lived a life apart, alone with my own tormented thoughts. Oh, wow. So that's a lie, because there's going to be a lot of stuff in between? There's a lot of stuff in between. <laughs> He's probably like, except for that one time I created a whole X-Men team. That didn't work out. I've been alone.
1: Because with the stuff in Korea, didn't he still have his legs then? Wow.
0: Yeah, he had to have, right? Right?
1: Yeah, because I think we thought that the explosion with Kane Marco and everything was going to take take no, away his...
0: No, we thought the car accident was going to take away his legs.
1: Okay. Which it should have. Yeah.
0: Who did but take away his leg? Like Satan? Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. So that was way later. Mm-hmm. So that's already a lie. Yeah, good I think there's a little bit of off writing there, but... Yeah. Oh, well. Still a good story.
1: Yeah, and they think that Scott's a criminal because there's a red beam that cuts the cable, and then Scott saves the day with a red beam, so they think he did both.
0: Mm. Oh, I see. Because, yes, yeah, humans are stupid. They are.
1: But yeah, that's the X-Men 38. All right. Amazing Spider-Man? Sure. All right. Doc Ock wins. Done. Okay, dun, that's the show, dun. everybody. Next week, we... Uh, oh. <laughs> you mean there's more? Since the deadly Dr. Octopus made good his escape last dish, Spidey has combed the city searching for him. And now, guided by his infallible spider sense, look what he stumbled into. Produced by Stan the Manly and John and Ramita, inking Mickey DeMeo, lettering Sam Rosen. The credits are written on the computer furniture... And my son, Keen, was like, they just produced that furniture. That's what the credits are. (laughs) They didn't actually produce the comic. Graffiti. Um, Yeah, so Spider-Man has found the Master Planner gang. All these purple-suited awk henchmen. Uh, While Spider-Man's beating them up, Dr. Octopus skypes in and says, Hey, you looking for me? Ha ha, you're not going to find me. In fact, I am going to go get like, the most powerful weapon in the world, and commit the crime of the century. And so Amazing Spider-Man thrashes the entire room full of computer equipment while the Master Planner gang is sitting there going, wow, I'm so glad he's not doing that to our faces. Mm -hmm. So he swings off, he looks for the Master Planner hideout, doesn't find him there, keeps on swinging, decides to go see Aunt May because she passed out last issue. Uh, Meanwhile... In Washington, John Jameson is having conversations with other uh, military and, and government leaders about Dr. Octopus and the security of the nullifier weapon and um, how they're going to keep it safe from him. So they decide to plan a route to transport the nullifier to where it needs to be kept, but Octopus has a man in the room where it happens. So um he decides he's going to report to Octopus later. Meanwhile, Peter Parker visits his favorite girl, May Parker, and she's lying in bed talking to Anna Watson about Pussy Willows. And um, yeah, he sees that she's doing OK. Mary Jane shows up. Hey, I'm having a party. You ready to have a party? Let's have a party. He's like, oh, why is she always on? My aunt almost died. And she's like, wow, that's a crazy hole in your room. He's like, yeah, I don't know how we're going to pay for it. Gwen Stacy shows up and is much more uh, emotionally supportive in her conversation, which Mary Jane sort of like, you know, cats at. And Gwen's like, yeah. <laughs> so anyways, um, mysterious henchman does report in the timetable and route of the nullifier to Dr. Octopus. So he sets a trap while the oct- while the nullifier truck convoy is in progress. He lurks underneath a manhole cover. And just like the Vulture, back in issue two, (laughs) he opens up the manhole and sticks out his tentacles. Well, the Vulture didn't have tentacles, but you know what I mean. And sneaks the nullifier weapon. Not only does he sneak the nullifier weapon, he comes out of the sewers and smashes all the vehicles on the convoy. Not a single bullet hits this man as he smashes every vehicle in sight and makes off with the doohickey. So John J. Jonah Jameson shows up and tells John it was Spider-Man, right? And John's like, Dude, Dad, can you just go over there and we're going to take care of this and shut up about Spider-Man. Robbie Robertson is there, our new character. Um, Ned Leeds is there. And Robertson is telling Ned... Don't listen to Jonah. Write the story. Don't let his bias throw you a curve. And Jonah's like, where's Peter Parker? And so he calls Peter Parker's home to find out where Peter Parker is. Peter Parker's roommate says, I don't know where Peter Parker is. Also, it's three in the morning. You're calling me out of bed. All of my Tootsie Rolls are totally messed up in my head. It's Harry Osborn. Tootsie Roll here. Spider-Man's still swinging around, trying to find Dr. Octopus. He finds the convoy all trashed. And he... um. Let's see. Octopus has driven up to a Stark Industries location. Of course, neither Tony Stark nor Iron Man is there because Iron Man is knocked out with Jasper Sitwell about to open his helmet over in Tales of Suspense. So Octopus turns on the nullifier, and here's what the nullifier nullifies. Mechanical action. Any mechanical object or even electronic object no longer functions under the influence of the nullifier, and he can turn up the strength so that it covers a wider uh, area as it goes as it you know shoots uh, things forward. Um, it doesn't seem to affect people very much at this lower setting. Except that the, the guard's weapons don't work. So he's like, ah, the world is mine. <laughs> the web singer shows up on the scene. It's like, there's the octopus. I'm going to get that nullifier. He fights the octopus, ties two of his arms in knots. So he's just fighting the octopus with two arms and the octopus gets his other two arms open. They fight. And finally octopus is able to knock Spider-Man down long enough to go get the nullifier and he turns it on Spider-Man, but turns it way up so that it might affect a person. He's not sure what it's going to do to Spider-Man, but he's hoping it'll do something. Spider-Man goes down under the effects of the nullifier. And when he gets back up again, he doesn't remember who he is. Because the nullifier has affected the amazing radioactivity in Spidey's blood. And so Dr. Octopus is like, oh, yeah, well, you see, Spider-Man, you're my partner. You're going to help me commit the crime of the century. (laughs) Huh? <laughs> okay. Next day of disaster.
0: Always oh, like when you wake up with amnesia and like someone's telling you to do something horrible and you're just like, well, I guess that's who I am. hmm <laughs> Sure. <laughs> I mean, would that let me, happen? Let me do this thing that is irreversible just based on your word. hmm Yeah. I feel like personally, I've never been in that situation, but I feel like personally I'd be like, let's wait on that. Let's put a pin in that and get some more information before I commit murder for you.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like I might be like, I don't really know what's going on, but I don't want to kill a person. Right. I don't want to assault that person. I yeah. don't want to steal those things that aren't mine. I don't know what else is going on, but somehow I don't trust you because you're telling me to do stuff that I know is not good.
0: <laughs> I have no memory, therefore I have no emotional connection to this thing you're telling me that I am. So maybe you're not, you not gonna be that person anymore. Yeah. Not inspired.
1: Um, Spider-Man mentions early in the story that he's really mad because Dr. Octopus is that one foe he's never beaten, and I'm like, excuse me, sir? Yes, Yes. he got away at the end of the Master Planner arc, but you have totally beaten Dr. Octopus.
0: Has he? Issue...
1: Okay, go ahead. Issue three, when they first fought, he got beaten and ran off and cried and came back and beat him. Issue 12, after getting unmasked, he came back and beat him. Okay. And then the annual, after the Sinister Six, he beat him.
0: I always feel like he gets away in every story, but I also didn't go through and figure out if that's true or not.
1: Um, okay. I'll be honest. I didn't either. I uh, know I'm pretty sure if issue three, if nothing else, I know he'd beat him there. I'm pretty sure he be in the other places. Yeah. Cause the annual opens with him in prison and they, they've hey, gotten the hey. arms off
0: them. There you go. That's good proof. Yeah. So whatever Spider-Man you forgot that said, I think currently, especially he's his, he's his most powerful villain. Probably. Yeah. Like he's his good difficulty. opposite number. Yeah, difficulty to beat. Um, Spidey, who are you mad at? Dr. Octopus and his cronies or yourself? <laughs> he doesn't admit that it's himself, but you know, your aunt passed out because you chose to go into her house. Right. And get into a big superhero fight with him while she, while you thought she wasn't looking, but she was right outside. What do you think was going to happen?
1: You made the thing happen because you tried to avoid it happening.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think he's really upset with himself, but he won't admit it.
1: Also, Dr. Octopus, imagine, you know, evil, villainous personalities convincing good people like May Parker or other Americans Mm -hmm. that they're completely honest Mm
0: -hmm. and want
1: their well-being. I feel like this would never happen. That's
0: really frustrating, right? Sounds frustrating.
1: Yeah. I can't imagine what that's
0: like. I can see that being really annoying.
1: Um, The Harry Osborn friendship continues to derail.
0: Yeah. It's like completely toast. They
1: were best friends for like five minutes.
0: Yeah. Well, hopefully that changes before Harry dies, or whatever is going to happen to him. <laughs> Something will happen to
1: him. That's not um, until Spectacular Two Hundreds. So we have a long way to go. Before oh wow, he dies. really? Okay. Yeah.
0: Well, hopefully that changes before Harry's dad comes back. That'll probably happen first, right? Yes. Um, uh, uh, Mary Jane is really annoying, and I feel bad saying that because I do like overall the character of Mary Jane mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of things. But they really are kind of writing her like. Like, when she shows up, I feel the same way. Boy, she's all I need right now.
1: I feel like this scene sort of con- sort of cements the idea that Peter is not getting with her.
0: He's oh, going to yeah. go with Gwen. Oh, yeah.
1: And um, I feel confident in saying that we're no longer watching the Peter and Mary Jane and Gwen show. We're basically watching the Peter and Gwen show with Mary Jane still part of the story.
0: Yeah. And I like that Gwen's like kind of got her number because he's like are you ever serious mj and she's like oh she's serious a lot you just don't notice
1: right yeah <laughs> now i thought right? that scarf thing she's got tied on the side of her head that's cute yeah that's cool it's not the classic
0: headband no not, it's, it's not, not quite look. but it's close um ramita draws a great dr octopus man all those scenes that scene, that scene where he vultures you know amazing spider-man 2s the cars mm-hmm. and stuff that just looks so cool um but i have to say Even if I were Dr. Octopus, I don't think Tony Stark's factory is the place I would go with my stolen merch to see if it works. I just feel like that's the wrong move.
1: Right. Now, he said at the beginning of the story he's getting ready to commit the crime of the century.
0: Mm -hmm. He
1: comes here to Tony Stark's factory. Mm -hmm. Is this not where he's going to commit the crime of the century? Because at the end of the story, he's like, hey, want to go help me commit the crime of the century?
0: Does he say – "Oh"? What if Iron Man is on duty, you fool. This is the nullifier I'm in my possession. No power on earth can thwart my plans, and that is just what I intend to prove with this unexpected visit. Okay, so he's actually going there on purpose, because Iron Man's all Mr. Elec- you know, Electrical, right? So mm-hmm. so maybe he's thinking, if I can defeat Iron Man with this thing, then I can do anything.
1: And in theory, he's right. If, this, if Iron Man were to cross over into this story, or if Dr. Octopus were in an Iron Man comic right now, Iron Man would have a hard time against this weapon.
0: It's like, but boss... Tony Stark has a gun that disintegrates cities. Don't you think he could figure out how to undo this thing that you have?
1: Does he have a gun that disintegrates cities?
0: He did entail suspense once; it was way too powerful, and they never brought it up again. But oh, that's right. He's like, yeah. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, if you got a te- piece of technology that you don't want undone, don't hang around Tony Stark, right? Right, because he is a weapon man. He will have something to counter your weird thing. But I do think also it was cool that the caption was like, "Read." read our, like Iron Man right now according to this caption I think the whole Iron Man being uh, a statue and being caught in a truck by Jasper C- well is happening at the same time on the other side of the building
1: I was thinking another building but it could be another. the same Oh city. is it another
0: building okay let's see it, it, I don't know
1: if it specifies but that's what I was thinking in my head is it was another building it could be oh, another
0: location on this Another it says campus. another section of the sprawling factory so somewhere around oh, okay. here somewhere around here they're getting attacked by both Doc Ock and the Grey Gargoyle that so on, p-
1: on page 15, when Spider-Man's swinging in, we get the wide shot. If we had a, a telephoto lens, we could see Gargoyle standing on one of those buildings.
0: I, I think way, way – that little dot on that top of that one roof, that's – Yeah. That's, that's Iron Man that's being gargoyle Yeah, yeah.
1: So yeah, um, kind of a simple chapter. I don't have a whole lot else to say about it, but it was very entertaining.
0: Mm-hmm. It's definitely a cliffhanger.
1: And the cover for next issue is in all of the house ads for all the comics I've read for this episode and next episode. So they're very proud of the cover of issue 56.
0: And it's not a lie. Doc Ock did win temporarily. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the only the only um, strike I might have
1: against this is that the image on the cover never really happens in the book. I don't know if there's a point where he really has Spider-Man like that, but I, I could be wrong.
0: Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I guess. I mean, the, the fight involved tentacles wrapping around Spider-Man, so you could just so it probably did. argue it was a scene from that big, giant fight. But it's a cool cover.
1: Well, speaking of cool covers, shall we look back at the covers we've had for this month? We have finished September. Okay, we're going to have to figure out something about going forward and how we want to do this, because we're going to start getting more comics next month. Um, But... For now, we still have 10.
0: Well, if it got to be where, like, it is now, where you had multiple comics per week, we could do Comic of the Week or something.
1: We, sh- we-, we should maybe think about doing Comic of the Week. Um, maybe for the new calendar year, we can switch to that. Yeah. Okay, so 1968, we'll do cal- uh, Comic of the Week. Okay, uh, but going back to the beginning of September or the end of August 1967, Sergeant Fury 48, where Colonel Clowa brought the blockbust and blitz squad back if Britain should have fallen. They're preparing for the uh, British invasion. Not that one. Strange Tales 163: uh, Nick Fury versus the Yellow Claw and the Dragon cried death. That's the one where um, they do the switcheroo with the the dragon statue. And and anyways, uh, Three Faces of Doom is the Doctor Strange story where the Living Tribunal fights Nebulas, very nebulously. Thor, 146, If the Thunder Be Gone. That is um, Thor with no like control of himself working for the Ringmaster and stealing the Golden Bull for all the um, Israelites in the Sinai Desert. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, wait, that was a calf, sorry. And also, the beginning of the Inhumans. Mm. So, new possibility for best and worst, we have an Inhumans series. Tales of Suspense, 96. Captain America to be reborn. He, uh, he goes around and bees Cap for a while and gets convinced at the end of the story that he should actually start being Cap again because everyone else is being Cap. Um, an Iron Man is stoned by a gray gargoyle, but then finds the gray gargoyle and gets knocked out whenever he meets the gray gargoyle. So it's all suspenseful. Tales to Astonish, 98. Namor up against Atlantis, who's up against the plunderer, and it ends with them going to war against the humans. And the puppet and the power, where the Hulk is working for the Legion of the Living Lightning, and, um, has been duped into fighting the army, and at the end, the Hulk and Betty Brant get imprisoned in a cell together. Daredevil 34, to squash a beetle, is the one where, um, Matt, uh, lets himself get captured, Foggy helps him fight the Beetle. He doesn't get himself unmasked, and Karen's there. It was was pretty great. Avengers 46, The Agony and the Ant Hill, that's Whirlwind, comes back. The human top with his new outfit, new name. And uh, he has been hired as Janet's chauffeur, and he lures Jan and Hank into a trap and fights them in tiny size. Fantastic Four 69. Ben is crazy. Tries to kill everybody. The X-Men mm-hmm. 38, up against Factor 3 and the Mutant Menace, and then the origins of the X-Men start. Amazing Spider-Man 55, Doc Ock wins. I'm ready.
0: I'm not. <laughs> this wasn't that bad.
1: <laughs> okay, so give me your reasons for your choices while I open up the um, the file here.
0: Okay, well, I'm sorry, Starenko fans, but I actually feel like maybe he's making this book worse so far. Maybe... Mm. It gets better. There was that one issue where the transition of tone that I really was excited about, that actually was pretty cool. But since then, every story has been kind of bogged down and bonkers. And this one in particular seemed like there was 28 different back and forths, a lot of like, why would S.H.I.E.L.D. think this or know this? And it just bothers me. So I am not enjoying the read. So I'm going to give Strange Tales, the Nick Fury section, even worse than Doctor Strange because Doctor Strange actually – Wasn't that bad. Like, I kind of enjoyed the the fight between the two big gods and then Doctor Strange sort of, like, saving the day Mm -hmm. a little bit. Like, that wasn't so bad. So, yeah, Strange Tales is, like, trying really hard to be, like, creative or something, but it's just not working. The only thing I liked about that story was the introduction of Clay Quarterman. I thought he was cool. Yeah. But outside of that. I was
1: talking recently on Twitter about Jim Stranko and how he's kind of gross nowadays. And I was uh-huh. thinking, well, I've been reading his his like hugely popular seminal shield run, and it ain't all that. I'm not entirely sure why James Torinko is this big icon.
0: I've always I've never I mean, what little I've read, I've never thought his art was all that cool. I'll make mean, he definitely tries different things, but
1: Yeah, I like his style more than his actual substance.
0: So far. Now again, this is early days, maybe it starts building and getting better. Well, we'll we're see. Not, right we're now, not that I mean, early. He's been doing this for a while. <laughs> Has he? Anyway, I yeah. Feel like it's it, just been a couple issues, no? I don't
1: it's know. It's been, it's been like five or six issues since he took over the, well, he took over the entire book before the, um, Supreme Hydra story ran out. And then he started this story, this Yellow Claw story, and it's been five issues since then. The book's gonna split. And what mm. is it? Um, five more issues. And then he's only on for like five issues after that.
0: Huh. Okay. Well, we'll see what happens. Maybe you and I are, the the weirdos who don't agree with the rest of the world on this. I don't know.
1: I've never been in that position before.
0: Yeah, me me. (laughs) neither. And speaking of a while, we have been covering Marvel books so long that they can now press my nostalgic button Mm. because I'm going to pick Avengers 46 as my favorite because as I was reading it, I was feeling the old school Ant-Man days, like the good ones. And I thought I was going to have have to justify
1: my Avengers choice to you.
0: No, there were a couple good Avenger. The best Avenger, best Ant-Man issues were the ones where it felt like a 50s horror comic or something. Mm -hmm. Where they really Mm -hmm. played up his size changing and what that would be like. So that they did great in this issue, combined with the fact that there was a lot of downtime, which I'm a big fan of on team books. So Mm -hmm. like they all changed and went on dates, and Cap and Quicksilver theoretically went to a baseball game. I liked all that stuff. I thought it was well paced. I thought it was action and fun, and you know, at the end of the day, it's just whirlwind. But it was still, it was good. As I was reading it, I was like, man, this is just like it used to be, kind of. So, that's my choice for favorite because I enjoyed reading it. I don't know if it's the best plot, but it's it was my favorite. So I'm also going to do
1: Avengers for my favorite. Um, okay. I think it, you know, for a lot of the reasons that you said, it's got lots of character. Um, it brings in the whirlwind as Jan's chauffeur which Mm. is a subplot that I've been waiting for.
0: Okay. They Um, never did discover that, did they?
1: No. And guess what? They
0: won't for a really (laughs) long time. (laughs) So they don't ask how he – well, I guess he just broke through the wall, so it's not like there's some big secret. He didn't have a combination or anything.
1: No. So so she's got the supervillain as her chauffeur. Uh, and it's a thing for a while. and No one knows it except for long time readers. They don't even always acknowledge every issue. It's just, that's Jan chauffeur. And if you've been reading for a long time, you're like, wait a second, is that still Dave Cannon? Is that still Whirlwind? Yeah, it must be. Okay. But, um, eventually, eventually it's gets resolved. But I just, I like that. I love that little dynamic that that's going on.
0: Mm-hmm. And it starts
1: here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like you said, there's the downtime. There's, uh, the camaraderie. There's the nostalgia buttons with, um, the Agony in the Ant Hill as an homage to the Man in the Ant Hill and all of that stuff. So I was also choosing adventures. Yes Fantastic Four was good. Yes Spider-Man was good. I really liked Daredevil. Um and the one I'm going to choose as my least favorite is not necessarily cuz the story was bad in and of itself, but because it made so many choices that mm. don't really go along with where the book has been. And that's Captain America. Mm. Oh, that chapter of Captain America was weird. And I didn't really like how they just took the whole, I'm not going to be cap thing and said, (gasps) "Never mind."
0: Yeah. I agree with you. They wrapped that up. It's less that like the story didn't make sense and more like that should have been like five more issues.
1: And the ways they wrapped it up had nothing to do with what started it in the first. Right.
0: That's a good point. Exactly. There's no acknowledgement
1: of agent 13 in the entire issue. Mm -hmm. Um, the previous issue seemed to be leading us into an introspection trip that we didn't get. Mm. Anyways, I just, I was not pleased by that Captain America chapter.
0: It's a bad reason to be Captain America forever. That way, no one else ever dresses up as me and accidentally dies if I just keep doing it. Right. It's like, what? How can you stop people from dressing up as you? That probably happens anyway.
1: That's what I was thinking. It's like, this is, this is probably Tuesday right?
0: for you. Because most of the motivations were like I was trying to impress my girlfriend. It's like, dude, that guy is going to do that tomorrow then too, whether Cap's real or not. So, yeah, you're right. The whole dumping of A- Agent 13 is kind of unforgivable on that on that uh, wrap up. So, <laughs> Well,
1: it's time to dive into the month we've been waiting for, October 1967, even though we're not going to get to the most exciting parts of this episode. Um, and last time we were having trouble pronouncing this, so I looked it up. It is Tarala.
0: Tarawa? Tarawa. That's not helpful. Okay, Tarawa. Tarawa. Marriage. Tar- Marriage. <laughs> tarawa. Okay, and this is me again. Sergeant is Howling Commandos, on to Tarawa. 49. At last, the Howlers blaze into action in the Pacific in a battle mag bombshell you'll never forget, because we were all waiting for that, right, guys? Um, God, again, I have to say it. On to Tarawa. It's really hard to say, even when I know what it's supposed to sound like, because raw wa Anyway, the date is October 30th, 1943. Wow, an actual date. The place is Tokyo, in the headquarters of the Japanese High Command. The man of the hour is General Toshiro Kimoto. His mission is to stop an allied invasion of the Gilbert Islands before it can begin. What does all this have to do with everybody's favorite howling columns? Read on, battle mag buff. And learn the senses-shattering answer for yourself. And just to clarify, I, I, I also like to say columns and stuff, but that was actually what the caption said. So, <laughs> interesting. Of course, we can translate... Jap- oh, I don't care about that. They, they translate Japanese. The guy's like, kill the howlers. That's the opening page. But then we totally cut away from them. Stan Lee, eruditely... Eruditely? Eruditely. Eruditely edits and exercise an explosive emission. Yikes. <laughs> wow.
1: <laughs> Not to like omit, I'm sorry. you emit like just emitted an explosive. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <We're>
0: disgusting. <laughs> Gary Friedman, Dick Aris, and John Severin, lettered by Sam Rosen. Okay. So yeah, they have to go to the Pacific. Initially, they're thinking they're going somewhere else. We open with the Howlers on a big battleship. I don't remember where they think they're going, but as they're going there, a periscope shoots up. And, you know, howlers be howlers, they attack it because they think it's a bad guy because who else would be out here looking for us, right? But then Sappy, happy sappy, sappy Sam Sawyer is like, hey, you guys, don't do that. And it turns out it's Skipper who is supposed to have a new title all to himself pretty soon. But at this point, I don't really know if I'm supposed to believe that or not because I totally fell for that Flash Thompson thing. So it's up in the air. (laughs) But he's here. He's here. He's here right now. That's what matters. Captain Savage. Um, And really, that's where they're supposed to go. They're supposed to jump on Captain Savage's uh, submarine and go to the Pacific Island. And while they're on the submarine, um, they're they're detailed on their mission. There's this guy named Rolf Harrison who's Australian. And he knows everything there is to know about this island they're trying to invade. But unfortunately, he's stuck there. So howlers, go get him. So they try and go get him. But they're immediately, once they get to the island on their rafts or whatever, they're immediately attacked by bazillions of uh, Japanese to the point where Nick Fury uncharacteristically surrenders because there's just no plowing through them. All the while, that, what's his name, Ralph? Ralph is watching with binoculars in his cool jungle outfit. And he's like, well, I could go rescue those guys, but really that's not my mission. My mission is to get this information back to the mainland or whatever. So I actually need to just let them rot and die. But as he's thinking about that, he's like, but I can't do that because I'm a hero and I have a large chin. So while he's debating that, the uh, Howlers are all lined up and they're being interrogated. And the bad guy, I don't know. I don't even think he has a name, but he's like threatening to torture them if they don't tell him information. They all do the whole I am Spartacus thing. I'm Spartacus thing. Um, At one point, Nick Fury manages to butt the guy's head when when the guy like slaps Nick Fury with his cane, you don't do that. Even when Nick Fury's you know tied up, don't do that. But that makes the guy mad. He's like, "Fine, I'm going to take one of you. I'm going to take one of you and and torture you." And they all like go, "Take me, take me, take me." Except Izzy. He kind of notices that if he stays silent, the guy really wants to take him. So he's like, "Well, I want I want them to pick me. So I'm going to I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to frown at the dude." So he does that, and it works. They take Izzy, um, and they lock up the rest of the Howlers that night. Rolf shows up. I guess he decided to rescue them after all. He beats up one of the guards, takes a bunch of rifles so he can pass them out to the other howlers. He also passes out pieces of paper that have all the information he's supposed to be keeping to himself just in case he dies. Um, And they all escape. And unfortunately, it's daylight. And the skipper was ordered to not not submerge. What's the opposite of submerge? Emerge? I don't know. Uh, Come back up with his submarine in the daytime, but he does anyway because he's a hero. So luckily when he does that, they all manage to get on a raft and swim on over and wahoo to freedom. But it's a short lived happy wahoo because they also know that Izzy's still there and he's still going to get tortured and they got to figure out a way to rescue him. So next ish invasion. We did
1: get, the word that they were going to have a um, howler fall in this ish. I was not sure what was going to happen with that, but evidently it was going to be that he got captured as cliffhanger.
0: You yeah, well, ain't going to die. No. Uh,
1: you know, they took, they took Dino Manelli off the table for a while. And so no. I was kind of wondering if they were going to do something
0: like that, but no, it's possible. He's going to get badly tortured though, but I don't know how horrible they're not going to make it too adult. Cause it's still kind of a kid's book, but yeah. Uh, Still drama. Yeah. Uh,
1: definitely drama. Definitely a, a, a worthwhile uh, issue. I, I mm-hmm. enjoyed it. Um, I feel bad because Sergeant Fury lately has been enjoyable pretty much every single time mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. But it's never been – well, it's rarely been like an A-list contender
0: for me. But they have been – I don't know, purposely or whatever, but they've just completely abandoned that formulaic feeling that it was having. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't remember the last time they just did the normal invade escape thing. Like, it's always right. something now, which is kind of fun. This
1: is a three bugle issue.
0: Okay. It just what sticks out. Because
1: every time it seems oh. that Gabe Jones has a line, it's about his freaking bugle. Page two. I he says it about his bugle and all the other guys are just hanging out. And yeah, Izzy mentions, uh, writing to his mom and Dino being handsome. And those are like a couple of beats. None of the other guys use their, st- their, their tropes. Um, Dugan mentions his mother-in-law once later and someone mentions Reb and cheating on cards once, but like Gabe Jones has four lines in this comic and three of them are about his freaking bugle. They all
0: have they all have tropes, so in that sense, there's an equality. But you're right; like Gabe never seems to have anything but that. Mm -hmm. So it's like, what is that about? Is that are they being you know racist, or is it just unfortunate, or what's going on here?
1: Why can't you have him say things that are just you know useful to the scene?
0: And even in the even when he's fighting, he kills here or you know beats people by shooting his trumpet, which is really stupid. (laughs) Like, the guy's like, oh, the piercing noise, I can't stand it. And he falls over. And it's like, come on. Yeah. Come on. It's frustrating. It's not even possible. It is it is annoying. Like, they need to give him a story.
1: I do Which is, really You know like- what's
0: weird is, like, they have flirted with racism as a story. Mm-hmm. Like, between him and uh, and Reb, for instance. And then they just. That's another tale for another time. Let's get back to that trumpet talking.
1: Well, there's there's overt and there's systemic, right? Like we mm-hmm. – we're obviously we're here a couple of white guys talking about race. But um, mm-hmm. there's we overt where you are directly derogatory to somebody. Mm-hmm. And then there's systemic where it's like subconscious and you're just making choices without even thinking about because that's just the way things are. And that's the way that your thinking goes or the way that the world around you tends to go. And without making deliberate, conscious, anti-racist choices and Mm -hmm. efforts in your thinking, racism will continue because that's just the way things are. And that's what this book, I feel like, is. I feel like it's just they're not doing anything to bring out Gabe Jones. And so it's just Gabe Jones is just the bugle, dude.
0: Yeah, but I feel like there's been a few characters – Reb included, but even before him, were like they had a problem with Gabe's existence, but it was always from their point of view, and yeah. they got, they got over it. And Gabe had like zero input on the matter, kind of.
1: This is true. You're right. We never and saw then, the story about how Ralston and Gabe made friends, so I don't think we ever will.
0: And then I also feel like initially in this book, Gabe had some really cool like everybody's equal lines as he was smacking people's heads together. You know, like mm-hmm. Japanese, German, you all, you all. We're all the same, you know, our heads all crack the same or whatever. And now he doesn't, now he doesn't even say stuff like that. Like I remember those, that he used to say things like that, that I thought were kind of poignant and cool. But yeah, now it's just trumpet, trumpet, trumpet.
1: Although I generally really like Gary Friedrich scripting on this book. I think he does a very good job writing this book. I think Gabe Jones is the big exception to that. Yeah. Um, I do like the way that Ayers and Severin have been portraying Percy Pinkerton's face. He Mm. seems like an older dude with the sunglasses and just the way his face is shaped. I feel like he is possibly the oldest guy in the group. I don't Mm -hmm. know. He just, he just seems like an older guy. I don't know. More like a 80s glasses grizzled action star than Uh a young fresh faced
0: army dude, you know? I don't think he mentioned his umbrella once in this either, so. No, he, he, he used it, but he never said the word bumbershoot. Bumbershoot. Yeah. God. Do you think if you went to England people would actually use that word or is that just an American translation of or you know, uh, it, stereotype it, or something? It,
1: it is a British term. Whether it's a yes. 2020s British term, I don't
0: know. <laughs> yeah, I think I feel like they had just rolled their eyes at that too, but I don't know.
1: And honestly, I don't you, you never know until you actually get into the crowd how much the slang that you've heard about is actually used. Like right. Rolf Rolf is an Australian guy in this and he mm. has all these Australianisms. They were just like, wow, you're he's really Australian, isn't he? But
0: Yeah. Yeah. He was kinda cool, but they didn't I mean they didn't give us much about him. Maybe they'll give us more if he helps them rescue next issue. But I like the part where he was like waffling with, you know, being really specific about his orders versus like being a person. The skipper
1: is in this and he um is, you know, important to the logistics of the story for a page or two.
0: Mm-hmm. He's getting
1: his own title very soon, so I'm a little bit surprised. He doesn't even have a name yet.
0: Yeah, I spoiled that, didn't I? But uh, you're no, right. You just, they they yeah, just yeah, called him a skipper. Before, but
1: yeah. yeah. Um, they do mention in the letter column hey, if you like Sergeant Fury, watch next month's Marvel Bullpen Bulgence, who's got a bombshell to drop on you. So they know when this book is in production that Captain Savage is starting.
0: I'm but. very interested in that because, like, the Howlers are army and foot soldiers and stuff, and the skipper is theoretically navy. Mm hmm. So it's like, what are they going to do? Just have like a bunch of submarine battles in that book? Or like, how are they going to make that interesting? So we'll see. Not that Navy isn't interesting, but you know what I mean? Like they're not going to be assigned to storm the castle per se. Right. They're not Marines. What are their
1: missions going to be like and what are they going to do? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. We'll see. I
1: meant to read up on the Battle of Tarawa because I remember Uh, getting the impression that it was a pretty big deal. The date on this is about a month before that happens um but i did not i forgot to look up the actual um battle
0: is uh Toshira Komoto a real person i'm thinking not toshiro kimoto on the very beginning this guy who never appears in the rest of the issue where he's just like we have to kill the howlers and then like or is that the guy who's like poking at them later in the issue is that the same guy i don't know i guess it it's, i guess it's supposed to be the same i don't know is page the guy on page 11 who's like the leader of this group of jerky guys. Is that the same guy as the first page? Not really. Different mustache.
1: Uh, Yeah, I thought his face was different. Um, This is his only appearance in comics, and he does not come up with an actual history page.
0: No. So it's weird. Like, they had this opening of this guy who's, like, general, and he wants to kill the howlers, and then you never see him again, and he never appears again. Kind of weird. Hmm. He might be in next issue because it's the second half of the story.
1: Okay. But,
0: um, but yeah, we shall so see. Not no, a real he, person. According to CMRO, this is his only appearance.
1: Yeah, that's what I saw. But then I saw comics.org has him listed in there. So I don't know if he just gets oh. talked about, but doesn't appear. If he's a behind-the-background oh. oh. character or what. Mm. Okay. Anyways.
0: Wow. It was a big splash page of a guy that only had one panel.
1: Yeah, kind of weird.
0: Yeah. All, All right. All right, is it my turn? Speaking of strange. Okay, yes, it's your So
1: turn. a new thing with our anthology books this month. Mm-hmm. I think they are trying to condition you to look for the new titles mm. because this is strange tales, Doctor Strange
0: and Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's like and also, also who's first.
1: Yeah. So they put the cover because the covers have been alternating. And so for all of our anthology books, whoever's on the cover is also going to go first in the book. And so, um, no, for nah. the for the suspense issue, Iron Man's on the cover and Iron Man's first or something like that. But for this one, Doctor Strange is first because he's on the cover.
0: No, I didn't look this up, but does that mean Doctor Strange gets more pages or is it they're sticking with the same page count?
1: I thought about that. He does get one extra page. It's 11, not 10.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, the Tales of Suspense or Astonish, one of those next episode is 11 and 11, but this is 11 and 12 because they kept okay. the 12 pages
0: for Nick Fury. Alrighty. righty um nightmare. Ooh, nightmare yes nightmare
1: but not that one
0: well not that one what a ripoff
1: right okay now hear this disciples of the mystic master dr strange has saved the earth from destruction by defeating baron Mordo and nebulous in reward the living tribunal is transporting him into a terrifying unknown world such as rewards are where nebulous has imprisoned his companion the beautiful mystic victoria bentley what's clea doing right now is she in danger? Do we leave her in a safe place? Because somebody was talking about how like he just stops going after to, to save Clea and is now all about saving Victoria Bentley and I forgot to go look.
0: I don't know. Clea, Clea is banished in some weird dimension or something, isn't she? I thought I she was know.
1: helping helping rule the dark dimension or, or something. Oh, I don't know. But I don't know if she got put in jeopardy and I forgot. Anyway, so many things I meant to look at for this episode that I forgot to. I'm mean, a bad <laughs> podcaster. Yeah, should fire me, Stanley. Yeah. Brewer of brooding fantasies uncorks. <laughs> Does he uncork his explosive emissions? <laughs> Sorry. This ominous <laughs> opus by Jim Lawrence and Dan Adkins inscribed in the lurid and legendary lettering of Al Kurzrock. Okay, so Doctor Strange is floating through Ditko space, and he lands on a planet. And he's trying to figure out where Victoria Bentley is and how to save her. This giant slug, one-eyed slug, attacks him. He sprinkles some salt on it, kills it um not really he magics it but still he's walking through this nightmarish landscape trying Mm -hmm. to find um victoria he also thinks about clea while he's there he sees this really cool looking demon that makes you think you're about to meet nightmare but no he's just a batman (laughs) he's just a batman Mm -hmm. didn't mean to do that he Um, wishes he attacks Doctor Strange, chases Doctor Strange into a cave. Doctor Strange falls into a cave and sees this big technological marvel. This huge gun, maybe? Some sort of ray projector or whatever. Um, and he's like, oh my gosh, I sense rays of pure energy coming from that gigantic lens. Pure and energy. this image of this dude shows up. Dude is Yandroth- The Scientist Supreme. And he tells Doctor Strange that the search for the Earth Girl is useless. He has her. And he's going to use all of his scientific strength to beat Doctor Strange and take over the world. And he summons Doctor Strange, come fight me. I'm at the end of the tunnels. And whenever I beat you, I'm going to take over the world. Next issue, The Mystic and the Machine. We have a sign.
0: Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I'll start with the positive and say Dan Adkins, like, drew one of the coolest damn things ever. Mm-hmm. It's a really cool looking issue. It really is. Like, what happened? Was he always that good and I didn't notice? Or is he just figured something out?
1: Well, we don't really see Dan Adkins doing this. We usually see Dan Adkins doing, um, like, X-Men faces and stuff.
0: Yeah. Well, he's much better at this then. Because I was kind of blown away by some of his art. It was pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. That snail? I mean, come on.
1: The snail's amazing. The bat creature is amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, The landscape looks very alien and surreal. The title, if it weren't for the fact that it's misleading because there's a very specific nightmare in Dr. Strange's world, the Mm -hmm. title is very applicable because this is a nightmarish landscape experience.
0: Do you think they were trying to trick us or do they just forget? I think they forgot.
1: They (laughs) forgot too. I don't think they knew what, (laughs) realized what they were doing.
0: Yeah. Um, Kind of the same standard fare, though, like traveling through a weird, strange world. Like, how come Doctor Strange can't hang out in Earth for a little while and do Earth things or fight Earth people? Fight Doctor Octopus, Doctor Strange. That would be interesting. Um, I do feel like they're trying to make it interesting. I'm mildly piqued at the, perked or whatever, at this, uh, the Scientist Supreme. That's kind of, hmm. Because you
1: know what phrase we haven't heard yet in this book? Huh. They haven't said Sorcerer Supreme yet.
0: They haven't. But I just like the idea of scientist supreme versus sorcerer supreme. But at the same time, this guy is so magical that it doesn't really feel a lot like a scientist supreme. So
1: Yeah. It's a really uh, magical presentation for what should be a PowerPoint <laughs> or a Skype call. I will beat you with my Excel spreadsheet. Yes. I mean, he's a scientist. He should have office skills.
0: Right. He should be sitting at a computer with like a pocket protector or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, magic is just science we don't understand, right? I don't know. So it's okay. Um, It's better than it has been. But yeah, you know,
1: I have a hard time caring. So I went Mm -hmm. on my, uh, the Marvel comics fans, 1961 to 1986 Facebook group. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, y'all, I really want to like Dr. Strange. I really Mm -hmm. do. Mm -hmm. Someone help me out. And basically the unanimous round was Roy Thomas's run is a high point of the history. And And Roy Thomas starts as soon as the book splits. Oh, okay. And guess who's taking over the art a couple issues later? Who?
0: Gene Colan. Well, that's going to make everything better, isn't it?
1: Yeah. So, Doctor Strange 168, I believe, is when that happens. And that's what we're looking for.
0: Okay, great.
1: So, with this Yandroth stuff and whatever happens over the next four issues, we just kind of
0: got to get through. Oh, my God. Gene Colan drawing Doctor Strange. You know that's going to be amazing.
1: And this issue kind of felt Colony.
0: Yeah, it did. That might be why I felt the story wasn't so bad is because like it was pleasure to look at. Maybe mm-hmm. that does happen. Sometimes it is a visual medium. So sometimes when the visuals are really amazing, you can forgive stories that aren't
1: right. Alrighty. Uh, that was a brief discussion. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, speaking of visuals
1: before next, uh, doctor strange, I need to look up and see where Clea is. Cause I, I don't know if she's been ignored or if she's actually totally fine where she is. Cause that, Someone said something about anyways.
0: that. That's just a testament to these stories and that neither one of us can remember where the heck Clea is. And also the fact that it is just one threat
1: leading to another threat. Right. That's, we're, we're in the same unbroken series of adventures that started with <laughs> Umar waking up. Umar uh-huh. woke up and realized that her brother had been defeated and we haven't stopped.
0: Right. Since. Right. Cause remember he had bills to pay. Mm-hmm. That was the last time he stopped. Yep. Where's my money? Wong, go turn some jewels into cash. Umar, for me. Umar held Clea hostage. Doctor Strange rescued her, but his mentor, the agent one, convinced him that Clea would be, only be safe if she was sent to a pocket dimension. The couple agreed, even though they believed they might not see each other again. However, the dimension proved to be some same as when his Dormammu was exiled to Tomer plans, blah, 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 but Strange thwarted his plans and rescued Clea in the process. Oh, I thought that was the end, but it's not. Uh...
1: So he did. So, so Clea is fine. She was sent there and then he rescued her.
0: No. No. This must be later. I'm, I'm spoiling. So right now, she's stuck in that pocket dimension. I think later on in our history, as we continue to read this, we'll find out that dimension had Dormammu in it. Because after, oh. that, it's, after that, it says they live together and become lovers. And that hasn't happened. So she's still in the no, dimension. I know.
1: Okay. Okay. So, yeah. And I think that was around the time that he was sent to a weird dimension. And we're like, oh, my gosh. How are you going to save the day from a weird dimension? Mm-hmm. But it ended up being good anyways okay well all that being said when comes black noon (laughs) unrelated unrelated we know you don't want to fool around with long-winded explanations faithful one so suffice it to say colonel nick fury's trap for the oriental mastermind excuse me the asian mastermind backfired and now he finds himself in the sights of a diabolic new weapon called the uh, 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 ultimate annihilator now prepare yourself for a 12-page happening Art Nouveau Marvel style by these contemporary comic geniuses, Stanley Editor, Jim Serenko, writer-illustrator, Bill Everett Inker, Artie Simic Letterer. Um we opened, I'm sorry, we ended last time with Yellow Claw zapping Nick Fury to death. Turns out he got transported by Swan, um, who is the Yellow Claw's niece. And she's like, okay, I can't like betray my uncle, but I also hate supporting my uncle. So I pulled you out of that so that you could beat my uncle. And um, yeah, there's also um, Herr Volzmann who's coming. The guy used to be in charge of Auschwitz, and now he works for Yellow Claw. He's going to show up, and uh, you've got to be careful. Um, what else? She tells him... To get out through the matter warp machine, so she teleports him away before he can fight Hair Foltzman. He gets teleported to the barber shop. The barber shop people are like, hey, oh my gosh, it's a bad guy. Oh no, it's Nick Fury. Hey, Nick Fury, what is up? No, 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 fell outside. We can't do um, we can't do haircuts right now. And they put Nick Fury as he's getting ready to pass out from having been, you know, almost zapped by the Yellow Claw. They put him in the chair to send him back down into Shield headquarters. Meanwhile, Yellow Claw is looking through his outer space satellite thing at the earth with this big old gun in his hands. And he's getting ready to like blow up the planet. And, um, hair was like, what about shield back down in a shield? They're scanning Nick Fury's body, making sure he's okay. Contessa Valentina de Fontaine shows up and says, Hey, what is up? I've got this key here that opens. Um, it's one of shields choreograph devices has a message on it, and um, the message needs decoding. But it is the location of something important with the yellow claw. <laughs> and uh, they bring Fury a new car that turns invisible. I think he drives it off. Um, what else? <sighs> Somehow, some way. He is no longer in his car. He's now in the back of somebody else's car. What happened?
0: He causes an accident, and then like, he has an invisible suit, so he jumps in the back seat while the guy's freaking out about oh, the accident. Oh, that's
1: right. He does have an accident with one of the Yellow Claws employees,
0: mm-hmm. jumps in the
1: back of the Yellow Claws car, so mm-hmm. the car drives to Yellow Claws headquarters, which evidently isn't a space satellite anymore. They're on Earth now. And he jumps out and says, Yo, I'm Nick Fury. Look at my cool suit. And they're like, Hey, we're in this... Um, ship thing the sky dragon that's about to blow up manhattan it's directly overhead and uh the moment that we're gonna wait for is called black noon whenever we're directly above manhattan and the sun is directly above us it's gonna power our device we're gonna blow up the island he's like no you're not i'm gonna stop you and shoot you and they're like no you're not we're gonna beat you up and pin you right in the front of the laser beam so that when we blow up Manhattan, the beam's going to go through your gut. And did the location of Yellow Claw and Voltzman change a lot of times during the course of the story?
0: I really had a hard time following it. Because and- she
1: says Voltzman's on his way. You've got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. We see Voltsman there over the earth. Or is he just looking at something on his... No, he's not over Earth. He's just looking
0: something Yeah, his that screens. page four in particular is like, what is going on there? Is that a screen? That's just this big giant screen of space, but not really. He's not in space? Or is that a window?
1: I thought it was a window, but it can't be a window. But what is it they're looking at? What is that pod? I don't know. He does send a deadly annihilation beam. Oh, he's shooting the gun up into space. So yeah, he's not in space. He's on Earth. Um, he's hard, He's shooting up into space, which is really weird that the screen would show a space perspective because that's not how yeah. you aim.
0: Yeah, no. why what what camera is he looking at that's showing the entire planet Earth? Yeah. A satellite or something? I don't know. But it just makes Nick, it confusing. It was really confusing. And how does Nick Fury get there via car? Well, see, I don't think they're in that floating thing on page 10. I think he says look out the window. You see the floaty thing? Oh. But like, then who's piloting the floaty thing? So it still doesn't really make sense. I don't no, it says,
1: know. here in my Sky Dragon, hovering in the sun oh, several yeah, miles yeah, you're above. right.
0: Sorry to disagree, but simple observation of scene from nearest window should prove most enlightening to S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Also, he, that still to dialogue needs to stop. No kidding. So I assumed he was looking out the window and saw the big giant spider. Um, but maybe they're in the spider. I really don't know. Maybe looking out the window of the spider, he sees the that they're in the air. Maybe that's what they're trying to say. See, here is where Sterinko does not shine because he's trying to be super clever and artsy, and I don't understand his communication.
1: Mm -hmm. Things don't flow like they should from bit to bit. Mm -hmm. Um, I was amused that the Shield barber agents actually care about their barbershop business. Whenever Nick Fury shows up, there's like mm -hmm. griping about how they don't get
0: customers. Because all the kids like long hair these days. Right. That was my favorite part of the story. (laughs)
1: <laughs> i kind of want
0: to just i just want to see these guys have a story right the gal who works
1: here isn't here today
0: no for the first time we don't get the same three people
1: i think it's the other two of the three but not all
0: three. right she must have been taking the day off or something sick day it is
1: weird when old shield and new shield intersect uh-huh because this barbershop oh. is old shield
0: oh there's also an element to the story where nick fury's dying dying remember because i think from the teleportation but they don't really say that but like he is hurting and the doctor says you have to quit shield and don't do shield things anymore because any minute now you could black out and die and then like when he's fighting them on page the last page 12 he's like oh no not now i'm having a blackout that doctor was right okay but i don't know why he's having blackouts is that because the teleportation that what's her face did to him like was traumatic doesn't really say why
1: I think, I just reading it right now, I'm led to believe it's because of it's sort of everything cumulative. Mm. just all the crap he's gone through, his body is starting to, and probably partially getting blasted by the thing and teleported a couple times. But, but yeah, so, they're like, you've got to quit S.H.I.E.L.D.
0: You're going to die if you keep doing activities, and he's doing activities, so now he's dying. That's why he lost the fight.
1: And I was like, don't tell anybody. Keep it confidential. I'll make my own mm-hmm. choices.
0: Mm-hmm. So if the laser in the gut doesn't get him, His own choices will.
1: Well, there's nothing more manly than going out to fight bad guys when you could die.
0: Right. Because, you know, the whole world's at stake. But hey, it's all about your ego, right? (laughs) Don't tell Clay Quarterman to come with you, who's an amazing fighter and perfectly healthy.
1: And not in this issue.
0: And not in this issue, sadly. So yeah, I didn't love this one either. I remember, like, it's really not great when Doctor Strange is the better of the two. (laughs) You know? But he really was this time, like... Yeah, I enjoyed Strange much more. If anything just for the visuals. They reminded me of the old Ditko days when I liked who cared about the story, the Ditko visuals were really fun.
1: Well, it's like have trouble caring as much about the Doctor Strange, but the shield is like actively annoying.
0: And then they're like um um next month if Shield dies. If Shield dies, then the Avengers are going to see a big giant spider thingy and just kill it. Yep. So whatever, who cares? Speaking of Avengers or X-Avengers or I don't know. Inter- intermittent avengers these days. How about Thor? Thor. What are we at anyway? Just for fun. Or 120. We're doing pretty good with this 5-6 five- yeah. format now. Okay. The Wrath of Odin, Mighty Thor number 147. Um hypnotized by the ringmaster as he does. Our immortal hero, shorn of his godly power, helps the circus of crime in its theft of the priceless golden bowl. But then the gunfire of the attacking police snaps the Asgardian Avenger from his trance and away we go. Another smashing super spectacular by Stan the Man Lee and Jack King Kirby, embellishment Vince Coletta lettering Artie Simek. What they didn't say is also, remember, he put the gold bull down really fast, or No, that's not what happened. I guess I thought he pinned Python with it, but I think she's just stuck because of bullets. So they're both kind of like pinned down by bullets, and the cops are like talking about how they don't want to kill anybody, but they want to keep them pinned down. But Thor's like, well, it looks like I was trying to steal this thing, and bullets or no bullets, I'm going to be a good guy. And he hefts it back up, and he puts it back on the stand. Um, I think Python was pinned because she's like, he saved me, and she's all enamored with him about like how he saved her. But he also put the thing on her in the first place. So anyway, but she's like, don't arrest Thor. He didn't know what he was doing. And she's kind of screaming about it. And They're trying to hold her down. But one of the reasons she was screaming is to distract them from the fact that her python is behind them and the python helps her escape. And she joins the rest of the syndicate. And we never see them again in this comic. They kind of comment about how there's a roadblock up ahead and Mastermind's like, I'm going to use my hypnosis. And we don't know if that worked or not worked because that's it for them. Because we cut back to the police station and Thor um, surrendered because he's a good guy and he knows he was doing wrong, even though it wasn't his fault. They ask him to turn over his weapon. He's like, may as well. Doesn't do anything anymore anyway. Um, We cut to limbo. Where Loki once again, for the 18th millionth time in his life, has been banished by Odin. But he's actually saying to himself, this is like the 18th millionth time. I've been lifelong banned to limbo. So any minute now, my dad will free me. And just as he's saying that, his dad frees him and brings him back to teleports him back to Odinland, aka Asgard, aka the Realm Eternal, aka Atlantis. And he says. I was missing having kids. So you'll be my kid now, but don't you do anything bad again. Okay. And Loki's like, I swear. And Balder and Sif come in and they're like, dude, what are you doing here? We're going to kill you. And Odin's like, no, I said, I have spoken. And he is a good boy again. Thor sucks, but Loki is cool. (laughs) Um, and they're like, no, that's weird. Anyway, Loki's like, Hey, you heard him. And he walks around the corner and goes, anyway, time to kill Thor and teleports to earth. Um, And scares a bunch of homeless people. And it's a really funny scene. So then we cut to prison. There's a guy in there who doesn't believe Thor is Thor. And he flips Thor's helmet off his head. And there's two things in this world you don't do. You don't tug Superman's cape. And you don't flip Thor's helmet off his head. Because the guy regrets it. Um, But then just before Thor could do anything too bad to him, a cop shows up and says, you've been bailed out. So he meets the guy outside who bailed him out. It's a Loki-looking dude in a suit with sunglasses he gets in the car thor is not as dumb as loki thinks because pretty much immediately loki or thor is like um you're loki and so he dissolves his illusion they get into a fist fight thor without his godly powers means that loki can doesn't even need to use his magic they just get into a mano mano fist fight and loki wins cuz he's like unlimited stamina of the gods and about the same strength now And he's just about to kill Thor, or at least toss him really good over his head, when out of nowhere appear Sif and Balder, and they're like, we don't care what Odin said, we gonna get you. And we cut to Odin watching all that going, ooh, that makes me mad. And he shoots a big lightning bolt to Earth. Next, let there be chaos.
1: Whenever they're fighting hand to hand, I can't help but think of Chris Hemsworth versus Tom Hiddleston. Mm Mm-hmm. And I know that Loki in this is a bit more buff than Tom Hiddleston is, but I just feel like Loki would never win that fight. Thor's pure strength against Loki's whatever. I still feel like Loki's
0: going down. I agree, except there's this whole, like, they don't really get into it, but I feel like Thor is not as strong as he normally would be because of this whole no-god power stuff. Hmm. But they haven't really said that. They kind of waffle back and forth about what that means but one of the things loki says is because he has his god power still he doesn't tire and thor is tiring because he's like a really strong mortal now or something so i think that's why he won okay but i don't know like totally if it was full-on thor versus full-on loki and they just got into a boxing ring yeah i don't see how loki would survive for five seconds but <laughs> <laughs> um so but I also feel like in the movies, half the time, Loki lasts as long as he does in a fist fight because he's appealing to Thor's like love of his brother. True. And distra- like Thor doesn't want to just unleash and crack his head open, at least at first. And then eventually it's like, you know what? Screw this.
1: Uh, Thor gets snapped out of his spell at the beginning because gunfire, which I guess is a good way to get unhypnotized. Mm-hmm. So I like how it's like, oh, my gosh, there's cops all around me. And it's very Man of Steel. Where he just, like, submits to arrest, and I wasn't really expecting Thor to do that. I feel like he's too haughty, usually, to just submit to mortals.
0: He's all like, you know, my whole life I've, I've obeyed the law, and I'm like, really, um, royalty monarch guy? I mm-hmm. don't know. I don't feel like that's really a thing. But he also has nowhere else to go, and does he really want to go on the run? I don't know. Like, he oh. can't just fly away and go to Asgard right now.
1: I also feel like if Odin looked down and saw, my son has allowed himself to be taken captive by mere mortals, Right. That he would not be happy with. Right. And he does reference the fact that Thor is having problems, but he's like, he's defied me. So he's got his ignoble plate, He can do whatever.
0: His grumpiness usually wears off by now, but he's still full grumpy mode. He is full grumpy so, mode. So that fight with that really powerful thing like just made his blood hot, and he hasn't come down from that yet.
1: When we first see Loki in this, it's in that weird green rock tree thing,
0: uh-huh. which is the
1: same place we saw him last time we saw him, which mm. was issue 142, where he remote controlled the Super scroll. Okay. Well, at least so, that's consistent. He had his memory wiped by Odin at the end of King Size Number 2, and they seem to have just forgotten that. Mm. And but, but they have kept continuity since then.
0: Yeah. Odin is like, how many times are you going to forgive this dude? You know what I mean?
1: Loki, yeah, You've, you're yeah, you're, yeah. you're
0: raging against Thor, but you have Loki. Right, Loki's done so much worse, and you're just like fine with him.
1: Sif and Balder have a major point.
0: That's how that's how siblings are, though. There's always that one that gets away with murder, <laughs> literally in this case.
1: And the other sibling can't report it because they just got murdered.
0: And the other sibling, like he does one thing wrong, and it's like, oh, you're in trouble forever. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's how that is. Um, I, pe- I really liked the. Oh, go! I don't know what page you were going to talk about. No, go ahead. I just like little moments they do with like real world. Um, I think it's page nine where Loki teleports into an alleyway and the guys are just like, what the heck? They run, you know, like that's nothing, but you didn't have to do it either. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just like this cool way of showing that, like how the real world deals with all this New York superhero action.
1: And Thor just talking to the prisoner and signing in his belongings or signing out his belongings, <laughs> all of that mundanity was just kind of cool to see. With does he
0: does he just write Thor Odinson on the thing?
1: <laughs> I kind of half expected the officer who's getting ready to set Thor free to walk up and be like, "Oh, never mind. If you're beating up prisoners, sucks to be you. You can stay here longer." But no,
0: that's I it. was thinking, and not that they can get into this and. You know the twenty pages or whatever, but how does this even work? That you can arrest an Asgardian just like that? Like he's not from around here. Mm -mm. What are the rules exactly? I mean, again, they just released him immediately, but like he's also royalty. He's known. So can you just like throw them in jail and process them like an American? Because I don't see how.
1: Well, I think you can at least start the process. You have a problem. You have a crime being committed. You you catch the suspect. You you incarcerate them for at least a brief period. Incarcerate's mm-hmm. too strong a word. You detain them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that uh, makes sense.
1: And then you got to figure out what to do with them, and that's where the rules come into place. But, you know, the first step is just get them off the street because they're doing bad things.
0: Get them to stop stealing that golden bowl.
1: Yeah. Um In my continual <laughs> examination of the language that Thor chooses to use, it's mm-hmm. weird whenever he uses stuff that seems culturally inappropriate. Like blessed be the Samaritan talking about the person who freed him. And I'm like, okay, he's referencing a Jesus story. Yes. That
0: feels strange, but Mm -hmm. it's
1: also idiomatic to the culture and he is Don Blake. So maybe it's not too strange, but
0: Mm -hmm.
1: it still feels weird.
0: I appreciated that the whole disguise did not work on him. So that was cool.
1: Yeah. Look, he's wearing a hat.
0: Yeah. (laughs)
1: That's, that's it. Yep. (laughs) Clark Kent's glasses has nothing on Loki's hat. <laughs> <laughs> right. A hat. Um, you know, Odin, just to mm-hmm. say, if mm-hmm. every person you trust is going against your will, maybe the problem isn't them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he's so angry at the end. It's just mm-hmm. like, okay, dude, maybe it's time for some introspection.
0: But see, even then, he sets himself up, and maybe this is just by default as a king, you are set up that way. It's hard to backpedal. So be careful what decrees you throw out there, because then it's like, oh, he's not very infallible if he just like backs off anytime you know someone questions him.
1: And the whole theme of this recent tirade is, "I am always right. My mm-hmm. will is supreme. By definition, I am God. Therefore, mm-hmm. whatever I want is the right thing." Mm-hmm. He reminds me, actually, just randomly of the. Uh, Awful dad from that episode of Doctor Who in the fifties with the TVs. Yes, and he's like mm-hmm. I am talking, and whatever yes. he wants. Yes, that's what Odin's mm. doing.
0: Yes, well maybe Doctor Who will show up and fix this problem. But I think this was a really fun story. I like all the uh, the players and the, the the setup. So next issue should be pretty interesting. Well, I'm excited for these last five pages. Oh, yes, and there's five more pages that aren't about Tales of Asgard anymore. It's about Tales of the Incomparable Inhumans. The, the the title is The Reason Why, and the captions read, Why in ages past did the so-called Inhumans become highly civilized while the rest of mankind were still predatory savages? Why did the Inhumans evolve faster than any other race on Earth? Now at last, the never before revealed answer new luster has been added to living legendary by stan the man lee and jack king kirby all hail ye as well these names immortal joe Sinnott, embellisher sam rose and letterer i feel like that was a carryover from asgard but it was cool okay remember that dude the century from ff64 i think because i'm taking it from this thing that sounds right but it, but it also says 46. That's weird. Anyway, is the, the green guy. The 46 is the last time we got in human's background. Okay. So in 64 probably, in 65, the Fantastic Four fought this thing called the Sentry. He said he was left there by the Cree. Well, this is a long time ago because there's like the cavemen and Mastodons and stuff. So we know it's a long time ago. And he just arrived on the planet this century. This is when he first arrived. And he's walking around going, I wonder what happened to that scientific experiment I need to figure that out. That's part of my programming. So he sees a city on the ocean and he flies over there. And it's the inhuman city. And they are so advanced, they don't take it as a threat when something new and interesting comes close to them. They welcome it in. And they say, Hey, you're new and interesting. Tell us about you. So the sentry's like, Well, a long time ago, I were I'm a robot that was built by the Kree. A long time ago, the Kree came down here and sprinkled the air with like advancement particles. And some of y'all advanced. And here you are. And they're like, oh, we always wondered about that. And by the way, we've advanced even more because we have this thing called the Terrigen Mist. And it gives us all unique powers. He's like, really? Tell me more about this. And so one of the guys shoots him and says, see? And he goes, oh, that's cool. I've heard enough. My masters will be pleased. If they ever come back. And if they don't, that's cool, too. Now I'm going to go parch myself and wait for the Fantastic Four to attack me. Next, the finale, Black Bolt. Yeah. Yeah. So So this is
1: what I was missing from the first chapter. I was like, where is this? I thought this was going to connect with the Cree, And it does Mm. here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: So the cree what's that aliens movie? They're like those aliens guys. Prometheus. Prometheus. It's kind of like that. They came down to earth and they did some experimenting on a certain group of humans. Mm -hmm. And those humans advanced way faster than the rest of the humans. So they are, according to the century, names them inhuman, doesn't he? Yeah, from yes. now on you will be yeah, called humans
1: because the Terrigen Mist uh, are changing you.
0: Right, but even outside of the Terrigen Mist, they were not like us regular humans because they were already evolving way too fast. Um, so yeah, it's cool little connect the dots, and it was neat to see the century arrive. So I went back to issue
1: forty-six of Fantastic Four because I mentioned it in the thingy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was when the Seeker—remember that one really important guy—for three issues. Um, he uh, was looking for the Inhumans, and turns out it was because he wasn't Inhuman to bring them back to the Inhumans. He gave us oh. our first version of the Inhumans' origin. Okay, and in his version, it starts with the island city of Adelyn, because he says they built an advanced civilization while humans still lived in caves. Right. So that part was already established, and that's an idea that Jack Kirby had had for a long time. As we talked about Tuck the Cave Boy last issue. Um, Coming out of the island of the gods, Adeline. So this is an idea that's been cooking in his brain. Um, the seekers said they were able to control evolution with the use of varigenes. So that part of the story has to be softened and altered somewhat because now they're using Teragen rays and pterogen mists to give themselves mm-hmm. powers. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, other than that, it's basically, okay. The reason that they're able to have this island civilization is because the creed changed a branch of humanity. And now they're yeah, super cool.
0: It's really cool. I like this is like uh, maybe the first time in our readings that we're getting like the history of Earth from a mm-hmm. point of view from a Marvel history of Earth, obviously. Uh, and it's fun. It's world building. And the experiment that they created on humans is one of many
1: Gene genetics experiments that the Kree did to a lot of different planets that gets explored way
0: way way down the road. Oh, those Kree! Yeah, they're doing? just out
1: there messing with people.
0: How are they so cool? Why are they making other people different? Like work they're on yourselves. Trying,
1: they're trying to get other people to be blue. They just is that wish the they were the only. I don't know. Why are <laughs> we so blue
0: and nobody else is? Uh.
1: Exactly. Um, the only other thing I have on this is that the King's sentiments are somewhat muddled. He intends to make a power play. Against the humans, but he also talks about how Adlin's going to be their great refuge, which implies they're the ones being attacked, which that last part goes with the Seeker's version of the story because the Seeker said that once the humans saw their powers, they started hunting the inhumans. And so they built a great refuge and had to hide from them. But here there's no hint of being hunted by humans, only the reverse and they already have the great refuge. So
0: yeah, he says Minor power, power enough to attack humans or Cree
1: hmm
0: So he but wants then, yeah. power.
1: hmm But he wants power in a city that doesn't understand fearing strangers.
0: That's weird. Yeah. And I, that's the bummer because I did like that part. Like uh, That was very Doctor Who in a way. Like Just because something's scary and coming at you doesn't mean it's ominous mm-hmm. or a bad guy. But then, of course, he ends up being like the leader of all these awesome people, end up being more Doctor Doomy than I'd like.
1: But, yeah, I really like this. I've been looking mm-hmm. forward to this series for a while uh, I don't remember where what else they do with it. I just remember this little bit of, you know, cool tying things together and being able to read it in the context of having read the Fantastic 4 stuff and the this stuff and then Captain Marvel's coming soon. Mm-hmm. I just I, I like it.
0: They're they're setting up the Kree for sure. If you were a kid back in the day, you'd probably be chomping at the bit to know what the heck a Kree is at this point.
1: I love my aliens.
0: Yep. But that's our last issue. That's it. Not forever, but for this episode, yep
1: no in fact (laughs) we're recording this just a few days before episode 153 drops which is um,
0: so excited
1: yeah it's our fake quitting episode so we're going to have to see what kind of shenanigans y'all get up to in response to our
0: Uh, I hope at least one person wigs out before they finish the show and stops what they're doing to yell at us that's (laughs) what I want
1: I want angry I want distraught emails
0: yes we'll have to see (laughs) I want to ruin somebody's day for five minutes. Anyway,
1: next episode, we're going to cover mm -hmm. five more stories. We're going to finish up week one, October 3rd with tales of suspense. 97. Then we're going to dive into week two, October 10th, my brother's birthday. Mm -hmm. Although he's not born yet. This would be his negative 13th birthday. Mm. Uh, Tales to Astonish 99, fantastic Four seventy, 70, the X-Men 39 and daredevil 35. Um, so be ready for those. Read them if you got them.
0: And where can they find us, Mike? That seems like a lot of X-Men in two days. But if you want to see more X-Men or other things that we cover, you can go to makeoursmarvel.com. There you'll find all the X-Men and all the other guys. Uh, you'll find links to the popular uh, apps or a generic RSS feed you can plug into your unpopular app. Um links to our social media on facebook and twitter and of course our ever handy contact form where you can drop us a line or just write directly podcast at make dot
1: also at dot is a paypal link if you want to donate to support the show we never appreciate it. i'm sorry we never expect it we
0: always appreciate it <laughs> i rarely appreciate it but go ahead and try <laughs> try and get
1: me to appreciate it throw as much money as you can we'll see <laughs> Um, and I can be found on Twitter at John Reads Comics the unappreciative Michael Kaiser can be found on Twitter at Kaiser the Great Uh, so follow us there follow the show tweet at us let us know what you think about the stories send us emails all that good stuff and we'll be back next week so until then or until Marvel gets a new scientist supreme named Henry Pym
0: make ours Marvel